you have to have the intrinsic motivation to be doing this HR work because you're in the trenches. It's, it's thankless work. Very few people stop in and say, thank you for making sure I get paid every day. Thank you for making sure my benefits are there. You know, typically when someone is coming through Human Resources, they have a challenge of some kind. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham, and we are back. It has been a little bit of a delay between episodes. Unfortunately, the pandemic has decided it wants to come back in a second wave, if you will, although I'm not really sure the first wave ever really crested. But it has slowed us down a bit, getting people into the studio, because we want to remain safe. We want to remain aware of who we're interacting with, and we want to make sure that we're not spreading COVID-19 to anyone else. And fortunately, our testing efforts have have been well-received and have been successful in identifying hundreds of cases of COVID-19 in our community and allowing Delaware to keep its prevalence rate below 5% in testing. But we are still seeing more and more cases come up, especially as other states around Delaware see surges. So keep yourself safe, get tested, Go to nccde.org slash COVID-19 to find out where you can get tested. That is my testing PSA at the top of this podcast. But PSA aside, we're going to get into the episode now. And we're speaking with another doctor today, but not a medical doctor, Dr. Jackie Jenkins, who is the head of human resources for Newcastle County, Delaware, for your Newcastle County government. Now, you might be thinking, I don't enjoy it when I have to deal with my own HR representatives at my own company. Why would I want to listen to your HR representative, Kyle? That sounds crazy. But I will tell you right now, Dr. Jenkins is a good time. She's written a book uh, for the first time in her life and plans to write several more and not on how to be an HR head, although she's a great one, but on how to cope with change. Dr. Jenkins worked in the previous administration in the city of Wellington, and and her team did not win re-election, and so she was faced with a big uh, life decision on how how does she go forward, what does she do. And that's certainly something that a lot of us, I think, face in life, changes that are not necessarily of our own making. So uh, definitely some good perspective there. We talk about her life, uh, what led her into HR, and what it's like to work here in the county. So I think uh, actually one of one of the more fun interviews, a lot like when I interviewed Ken Bolden in our first episode, I really didn't know uh, how interesting it would be to interview a clerk of the piece. I really didn't know how interesting it would be to interview our head of HR, but I was very pleasantly surprised. had a great time, and I think you'll enjoy this episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Pod County. Welcome to another episode of Pod County. It's been a little while. Pandemic has slowed us down, but we have a great guest today, Dr. Jackie Jenkins, the Chief Human Resources Officer for Newcastle County, is here in our studio. She's going to tell us a lot of stuff. She's going to, we're going to talk about everything that makes you, you. How's that sound? That's kind of scary, Kyle, but okay. <laughs> I, I want you to get right up on this mic. Right on You it. can move it, you can get it, get it close to you, but you just want to like you got to be a close talker with it. All right, all right. Here we go. How's that? That's perfect. I dig it. You sound, you hear yourself I hear better. myself. Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Jenkins. Yes. 
What is your doctorate in? Educational leadership. Educational leadership from? University of Delaware. From the University of Delaware. Did you do, where did you undergrad at Delaware too or? I did not. My undergrad is from Wilmington University, actually. Wilmington, and then uh, master's or straight into a doctorate program? Master's, Wilmington, you also. Awesome. Okay, so you're local all around yes. on that. So you're from Delaware, then? I am. Where I guess that's the thing. If you're from Delaware, what high school did you go to? Wilmington High, Red Devils. Wilmington <laughs> High. So this was when there was a Wilmington High. Yes. When did Wilmington High School stop being a thing? Because I'm not a I'm not a native Delawarean, although I just grew up one county over. But I I learned more and more the longer I've been here that like Wilmington High School was a thing, and now it's and I guess now is it is that where Charter that's and where Cab Charter are? and Cab are? They're yes. in that building. Mm-hmm. But when did Wilmington High School cease to be Wilmington High School? I really I believe it was 1978 when DSAG happened. Okay, okay. You don't look old enough to have graduated. I was in about to say, do the math now. I'm, Kyle. I'm sitting here and I'm like, that's because that's the whole. That was really the root of my question. Is like, you don't look old enough to have graduated high school that long ago. Yes, sir. Well, or you could have said, well, I was a, I was a wonder kid. <laughs> And I graduated from high school. I was nine. And I wouldn't have questioned it. I'd have been like, makes sense to me. I'll believe it. So Wilmington High graduate. Yes. And and then to Wilmington mm-hmm. uh, University. So keeping it keeping it Wilmington. Yes. And then UD. That's awesome. And so when did you get your doctorate from UD? When did that happen? 2006, I believe. 2006. Mm-hmm. So you, you've been in the workforce at this point, and you decided... I really want more school. I want to go do school again. And I don't want to just do school again. I want to write a dissertation. <laughs> That's not quite how it happened, okay. Kyle. Walk, walk, <laughs> walk me through it. How did it happen? Well, at that point, I was the human resources director in an institution of higher ed. Okay. So it made sense at that time if you were interested in a more senior role, um, then the doctorate is what you needed to be able to do that. And that's, I guess, really a big, it's funny because, you know, here in government, it you see some doctors in public service, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. yourself, um, but in education, it's like a requirement. If you're going to be leading educators or leading educational institutions, you need to have that prefix. Absolutely. And so, well, I guess let's back up. When you were, when you were coming out of high school, what did you, was HR executive, like, in your mind, what did you want to do? That's an interesting question, Kyle. My freshman year, I was a biology major. At at Wilmington, really? Well, really, I was at Lincoln University at the time. But I was also a 16-year-old freshman, so not quite nine. See? (laughs) See? I knew it. See? Ah. Trying to get one past me, and I got it right. Uh, Lincoln, that's up. uh, That's just up over the border, right? Oxford, Pennsylvania. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Rising Sun, so like... I'm used to driving past it on Route One, where the the exit is. Like wrong a bell. So so you you started biology. Yes. Funny, because uh, my sister started at Towson in biology, and she's now a, a first grade teacher. Absolutely. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what that's about. But did you also realize that you hated biology? Because she did real quick. No, I did not. I did not. Um, again, as a 16 year old college freshman, that was very young. And it was more about my inability to integrate myself into an adult Mm. environment at 16. Sure. So when I came home on break that year, I 
packed up my things. And, you know, as a lot of incoming freshmen, that first transition, that first semester, I have tons of nieces and nephews that we've had that it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Growing pains, being away from home. But being the first-generation college student in my family, it was more, if you want to come home, come on home. You know, it's okay. We can find something. Because, of course, my parents obviously thought I was too young, too, to be in college. So I came home and got myself acclimated. Initially, the plan was for me to go to Howard University. Now, again, a bigger university Mm -hmm. in a bigger city, you know, still young. And then we decided against that. So I ended up at uh, Wilmington University and... Somehow I shifted from biology to business, not quite sure how that happened. And I have a girlfriend that says, you started out in biology, I shifted to medical technology, and then I found my way in the business world. But then ultimately she says, you became a doctor anyway, so. (laughs) There you go. You think that was was going to happen at some point? If you had stayed biology, would you have gone full on through to the highest you know, tier you can get? I think so, because I'm just a lifelong learner and a glutton for punishment, some would say. So, you know, you just keep going and you keep going. Uh, The opportunities were available to me. My tuition was paid at that point. So there are all of the traditional obstacles for a college student. I didn't have those challenges. So I was very fortunate enough to be able to have somebody else pay my freight and be able to go to school. I think that, yeah, that's kind of the root of where I was going. That Did, did you just kind of have that personality that you wanted to drive as far as you could? Or were you more, more you fell into something that it really pulled you into it? Because I know I, like, I enjoy learning. I, I, lo- I read a ton. Um, but the, the concept of going back into a structured learning environment might drive me insane. Well, I don't think we ever set out. For that to be that long of a journey, it's it was a long journey for me. Wouldn't recommend that to be in school at that age. But it's not, my mom didn't think it was out of the ordinary for me. She you know, didn't call me an overachiever, but that's what it meant. I, you know, I like the challenge. I like being in the classroom setting. So the pieces that would normally frustrate the average person, I enjoy. So I enjoy school. I enjoy learning. I enjoy being in that environment. It sounds like my wife. She <laughs> she double majored in is like anatomy and medical cell biology and then wanted to go to vet school. Wow. She's Canadian. Vet school in Canada works totally different than here. I think I've explained it on this podcast before, so I won't bore people with it. But she could, it was it was a mess trying to get into the school she wanted to get into. And she just, just flipped a switch and said, I, well, I, all right, I'll be an accountant. All my <laughs> friends are accountants. All my parents are accountants. All my parents' friends are accountants. I'll have a job. Someone will give me a job. I'll go become an accountant. And then just turns a turns a switch after we'd moved out here, goes to Goldie, gets gets another degree in accounting, and then goes self-studies for the exams and gets like a near-perfect score on the exam. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, I was, the, I was the kid who was like, what do I need to get to keep my scholarships? A, a 3.0? Yeah, all right, got it. Yeah, 3.01. We're, we're good. A little, little margin on that. I can spend, I, I would I would take more time to like plot out how little I had to go to class. <laughs> what, is, what, is the, what is the margin here that I can have between class and hanging out with my friends? Okay. You were, in, you, you were full on margin on class. Absolutely. That's good. That's Some why might think that's a gender difference. I'm just saying. It could, it could be. <laughs> it honestly could be. I don't know because I think my sister is a little closer to me on it, <laughs> but I won't knock her on that because she's educating young minds and she's 
as far as I know, doing a good job of it. So, okay. So you changed focus into business. And then what kind of led you into the HR field? I'd like to think that the field of human resources chose me as opposed to me choosing the field. And what I mean by that is because business administration is such a wide variety um, and there are so many options that could be available for you um, in terms of employment. So I, I, I tried the operations, I, you know, I tried the accounting, you know, I tried the marketing and because I was in an organization where I was afforded those opportunities, again, trying to find my niche, if you will. And I had a small piece of what was personnel at that time. And I worked with a, a great director and he gave me more responsibilities around that HR piece. And I realized that I found my niche and then put myself back in school to get a master's in human resources and the rest, they say, is history. There you go. And so walk me through uh, a bit of your career path. Where did you kind of move through before you were here at the county? Well, my, my entire career, believe it or not, has been in public sector. So I started out at the city, local government, the city of Wilmington. I moved on to the state through Delaware Tech in higher ed. I was their HR director for 16 years or so. Then I found my way back at the city of Wilmington. So I had local public sector, then I had state public sector. Then my team lost the election. I was appointed, and <clears throat> as many of us, so I found myself unemployed, was able to retire because I started working at such a young age. There you go. And um, putting money away, right? <laughs> That's You can work at a young age and spend it all. Like, Absolutely. You were putting it away. That's smart. So... I was able to do some consulting work for a while, and then, of course, I had time on my hands to write a book, and then the county reached out, needed some help in the space of human resources, and here I am. Yeah, so Vanessa Phillips, who's now our chief administrative officer, has been for, I guess, three years, two years, three years now? How long have you been HR director? Because that it would be about that long. Fifteen months. Fifteen months, okay. And so then there was a little gap. And, and so probably about two years, I guess, Vanessa's been CAO. She was the chief human resources mm -hmm. officer, and now now you're there and, and doing a great job. I think we've seen more. Uh, I feel like we get more communication from HR now, certainly a lot of the HR uh, training stuff that's been a big focus of the administration has been great. And I think that, you know, right now, especially what we're going through as a society, uh, it really started in the Me Too movement. Now it's moved into in, into a broader social justice around uh, race and, and treatment of individuals and implicit bias. HR departments are like the most important department at any company right now, or, or or you know governmental organization. Do you? How does it feel? I feel like if anything, like this is this is HR's moment to shine, right? How does the how does it feel? Kind of having that spotlight. Well. Kyle, I will say that HR has always been the most important department. HR has always been shining. However, I think the narrative has shifted where we are no longer viewed as the bureaucrat of the organization and we are now emerging as a strategic partner. So it is, it's great to be recognized. However, you have to have the intrinsic motivation to be doing this HR work because you're in the trenches. It's, it's thankless 
work. Very few people stop in and say, thank you for making sure I get paid every day. Thank you for making sure my benefits are there. You know, typically when someone is coming through human resources, they have a challenge of some kind. So you have to recognize that you don't get your personal satisfaction coming to work every day. You got to bring that in with you because people are looking for help, support, whatever the case may be. And certainly now when we are in the middle of a pandemic, you know, that the, the kind of help and support has shifted because our leadership skills have had to shift. How we hold people accountable has had to shift. So I think we are on the front line more now because we are, again, as I indicated, more of a strategic partner and we are being viewed more as a resource to manage the day-to-day as opposed to you only go to HR when there's a problem. Are you a fan of, like, streaming shows? Mm-hmm. So do you have Apple TV? Yes. Have you watched Mythic Quest? No, I have not. Highly recommend it. It's uh, Rob McElhenney from, from Always Sunny is the star of the show. They, they have a game, uh, like a... Like a I don't know really what you would call it, maybe like a Fortnite-style game, but it's more like, you know... Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing, but he's he's like the lead creator at this game studio, and it's it explores a lot of these kind of funny dynamics in gaming. But they have the like one person is their whole HR department, and all the people keep keep going to her and like they, like she's a therapist, <laughs> and she's like, why do you people only ever come to me when you have a problem? I keep telling you all the time, <laughs> and it's just fun. I'm listening to you describe like people only would ever come to us when they haven't. I'm like, yeah, I've seen this. I've seen this play out. <laughs> In a TV show. And to me, sometimes it kind of feels like the dynamic is like uh, HR is is the concerned scientist in every disaster movie that's like <laughs> preaching we need to do X, Y, and Z. And people are like, well, okay, Mr. Scientist. Like, and, and then all of a sudden the disaster happens. And you're like, well, I'm here. I'm here to help with this plan that I've had for so long. And I, like I said, I know for us, it's, it's – I came, you know, out of journalism, out of newspapers. The journalism industry as a whole – it's built to be reactive, right? Because you're reacting to things as you happen, or as they you're reacting to things as they happen. But I would say overall management is very reactive in there. There's not a lot of advanced forethought and training and planning for uh, workplace anything. And uh, coming into this environment where it's very much structured around uh, risk management in that that sense, it's it was actually kind of refreshing to like see the, oh this is what a normal news journalism is not remotely a normal workplace and so this this kind of was a very eye opening like this is oh this is how normal normal workplaces work you have these trainings and you learn these things and okay of course then you see on the news when you don't have those things. <laughs> how badly things can go. Absolutely. So anyway, looping back in, you mentioned you wrote a book. I did. Tell me a little bit about what the book is about and what what led to that book. Well, I mentioned previously that our team lost the election. And for the first time in my life, I am unemployed. And... First of all, you don't want to be at this age, and it's not 40, uh, being unemployed. That's number one, because employers have so many other options uh, at a much cheaper price to be able to employ um, other individuals. However, even though I was uh, in a position to retire, even though I felt like I can't be the only person who is finding themselves in this kind of 
challenging environment being unemployed for the first time. And what I was seeing is other members of my team were being picked up and there was not an, an opportunity for me, which was strange. By that time, I had transitioned out of human resources, even though that's my passion and I will always uh, be an HR practitioner. My other passion is education, fighting again for the little people. In human resources, I believe that we are creating better outcomes for adults in a professional setting. And in education, we have segments of our populations who are underserved or, you know, whose needs aren't being met. We're not seeing the kinds of educational outcomes. So champion smaller class sizes, champion ensuring that you have people who are in front of these little people that they can identify with and that those adults can identify with the children and their challenges. So I was on that front line ensuring that we had ample summer learning opportunities because that's where our kids experience, you know, the, the, the gaps and et cetera. So being out here, and I was fortunate enough to be able to pick up contracts, to be able to do some of this work. I did some work for the governor's office around grade level reading. Okay, so if our kids are not able to read, they can't learn. So, sure. you know, up to third grade, you're learning how to read. After third grade, you're reading to learn. So that was my, my, my space, which, which kind of helped me along. But I thought it was also important to kind of journal and document this what I called my closed door experience, meaning yesterday I had a job, today I do not. But your closed door experience, what I realized, can be a lot of things. You know, it can be divorce. It can be losing your job. You know, it can be missing out on this perfect house that you wanted to put a bid in on. You know, it could be death. There are a number of reasons that people experience closed door experiences. What I wanted to do was to journal that experience, but then to also create a platform to be able to encourage other people who have had similar closed-door experiences. I'm a woman of faith. You know, I don't hide that fact. And I wouldn't have gotten through that closed-door experiences uh, experience had it not been for my relationship with God, if you will. So it was sharing with other people who may be having a similar challenge or my other colleagues who hadn't gotten jobs. And, you know, and there are people that were on my team that still have, have not been able to secure gainful full-time mm. employment. And again, at this age, that gets to be a little bit challenging. You know, when you're maybe you're not quite ready to retire, you know, maybe you haven't quite put away that good nest egg to be able to now do these other things. And I literally was being led to write. And the funny thing about that is I don't enjoy writing. I just told you I was a math science. That's the side of my brain. Give me a statistics problem and a blank board and I'm in until sure. the end. Sure. But the creative, warm and fuzzy side of my brain, that's not what I typically tap into. So it was challenging having to really be vulnerable and to share with people what I was not only experiencing, but what I was also feeling during that time and having to be patient and to wait for God to determine, you know, what our next steps were going to be. And at first it was get that book done. And then once I did that, uh, other opportunities um, opened themselves up. Yeah, it, it's funny because Going into journalism, the kind of the running joke is you, you go into journalism so you never have to do math again. And you go into photojournalism so you never do have to do math or write anything ever again. So I understand that that thinking from the opposite end where it's like I don't 
I was really good at math. I, I just didn't like it, though. I was doing, like, calculus as a junior, and I did not enjoy any of it. And really, like, senior year, I checked out. I was <laughs> – I mean, I got good grades, but it's, it's that, that, last, that last semester was – I, I, I saw the finish line where I knew I'd never have to do another – Ugh, sigma sign anything. Understood. Ooh, yeah. So, but I, but I get that that like flipping your brain over to the other side, right? And it is. It's a left-right mm-hmm. divide on that, and pulling that out, especially if you've never done it, can be daunting. Did you find that you were running into a lot of walls, or did it kind of flow out of you? I think a combination of the two. In my doctoral program, one of the things that I absolutely shared was I believed I found my writing voice, okay? Because remember, that wasn't something that I enjoyed doing, so I resisted, you know, I hated having to write papers because that's just not something that I enjoy doing. And I can remember my first class in the doctoral program, we had a, uh, the professor, we had a grading conference. So, you know, you grade yourself and, you know, then they grade and we meet somewhere in the middle. And I just remember her telling me that she thought my writing was stiff, is the term that she used. Well, four years after my program, I ran across that paper. And she was being very generous and polite (laughs) by saying it was stiff. You could tell that I didn't enjoy, you could tell that by the, the writing itself. So over time... And, of course, in your doctoral program, that's all you do, you know, is write papers and write more papers and write more papers. And eventually you, you, you find your voice if you don't have it or you at least have a greater appreciation for writing because either you embrace it and it gets easier or you don't and it gets harder. So not knowing that that was preparing me for being able to write a book ultimately later But I believe that that's one of the side benefits that I received by going through my doctoral program was really finding my writing voice. And once I was able to do that, it was a lot easier and the writing flowed better because I believe that my book is inspired by God. It was sort of easy to just listen and listen for the content because it was not my desire nor my goal to write a book. So if that's not my desire, What's the content going to be? I had no idea. You know, is it going to be something that people will want to read? <laughs> I, was, I didn't know because I didn't have a good sense as to what that content should be about. It was just me simply being obedient to the desire to write as had been deposited. And once I started, it got a little easier. And so, you know, you, you've your inspiration for this is this kind of sense of loss or, mm-hmm. or uh, would you say also kind of like a, like a loss of identity too? Because I feel so many people kind of attach their identity to what they do <laughs> instead of, you know, generally who they are inside. That's a good question. I don't think it was me losing my identity so much as other people making me feel Mm. like I've lost my identity, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense to you. No, 100%. Because when I left journalism, the question I get all the time is like, oh, do you miss miss all the stuff you were doing? And it's like, well, I I miss covering the Eagles. I miss covering Firefly. I don't miss constantly worrying if I'm going to get laid off. I don't miss 
newsroom politics. I mm-hmm. don't miss, for the polite way to say it, poor managers. You know, I don't miss the, the negative stress that I had. Sure, I miss some of the fun stuff, but, like, I, I do fun stuff now that replaces mm-hmm. that fun stuff, right? But I get that, you know, because then you kind of have that flashback moment of, like, well, actually, you know what? I do kind of never get to do that thing again, you know? So that was just – I kind of wondered if you went through kind of the same thing a little bit because I didn't – personally, it didn't didn't linger with me. But every time I'd get the questions and then I start thinking about it, I would kind of go down that road of, well, mm-hmm. yeah. But so now – you, you've, you've come into the county 15 months ago, and you, and you kind of said, like, well, I, I could be retired. I wrote a book. What made you want to come back into it? Did you just still have that longing to do, or, or did you feel at a certain point, you know, I'm out. Maybe I, maybe I will stay out. Maybe I'll keep writing. Who knows? That's interesting again. The story is I reached out to someone in, in the midst of that, I had a car accident, too. Mm. So, you know, totaled my car, multiple surgeries. So all that was happening while I was trying to write, while I was trying to do consulting work. And You had no inspiration in this book no, whatsoever. None, Just nothing. None. No wow. desire at all. And so I'm trying to figure out what exactly I'm doing or what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I finished the book. It was clear to me that I needed to get that book done. Once I finished the book, it's now what? You know, I've never written. I don't know what you're supposed to do next. I don't know what the process is. I'm online. I think Siri's listening and giving me, you know, ads in my feed. And, you know, my sister was sick at the time. And so all of that was going on simultaneously. And... Then I realized, well, I need resources to be able to move the book forward. I don't think using my savings is the best use of of that nest egg. For sure. And I thought, well, I've recovered enough. I think I'm ready to kind of get back out here and do more contract work. And honestly, I approached someone to at least make an introduction just to say that I'm available, I'm out here. If, if there's any HR work that you need help you know, with that I would be available. Shortly thereafter, I get a call asking for me to come in for an interview. And I literally thought that that person was confused because I didn't apply for a job. So, but okay, but I'm not gonna make you think you're confused. I'm gonna, okay, whatever you say, yep, sure. yep, I'm gonna do it. Yes, ma'am. I'll let you I'll figure it there. out when I'm in the building. <laughs> and when I got here, it was, you know, an interview panel that I, I, I didn't know I wasn't prepared for because I didn't know I was coming in for an interview. And, you know, the rest they say is history. You know, I, I got through the process and then I literally had to ask myself to your question, is this what I'm ready to go back to? Because now you're talking going from zero to 100 miles an hour coming in as the chief human resource officer with a workforce of this size. So I really had to think 
if this was something that I really wanted to do, and I'm so very thankful that I said yes. What are, what are we, 2,200 employees? Is that that big? They're between full and part-time, yeah. And you were with the city before. How mm-hmm. big is the city? Half that. Yeah, so, so double up. So the city's probably half. The Delaware Tech was probably in the middle. Mm. So, you know, it, it, it kept increasing. But it's public sector, it's public sector, it's union work, it's all of the challenges. But it has been an incredible journey coming on board. The publisher was waiting. No, I was waiting to hear back from the publisher at the same time that I was going through this process. And so now I have a book that's that's ready to go, and I'm looking at the contract to sign and being nervous about that. You know, friends told me not to self-publish, that you really want to go through a publisher. And I'm thinking, okay, I've watched lots of movies where people submit hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts that never get picked up by people. And do I go through this whole process and then only have to go through the rejection, you mm. know, aspect of it? And again, I'm, uh, again, fortunate enough that I, my very first publisher, I submitted my manuscript and it was picked up the very first time. We went through the editing process, et cetera. And when it was time to now move forward and launch. I was here and had the resources to be able to do that. So I'm excited about what doors that's going to open from that perspective. And I've already started uh, my second project. So I'm excited about that. So I'm going from not liking writing and now here it is my second project that I'm working on. So nice. it's exciting. Can I, can I say I had a very similar experience with like getting the phone call and you're pretty sure they're calling the wrong person. My first, first like full-on big internship. I had interned at the News Journal, but it was an unpaid internship, and it did lead to a job there down the road, but you know, I got a call from the Sacramento Bee. I had graduated from Ohio. I graduated early, mostly because I was like, I could stay here and keep partying, but I'm done. Like, I, this, That's probably not a good idea. And I can remember being at home. I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I'd probably applied for 50 internships, <laughs> and I would get this phone call from a California number, and they're like, yeah, we just wanted to talk to you about this internship. I had no recollection of applying for this internship, and I was 85% sure they were calling the wrong person. <laughs> that they they had got the, I don't know where they got my number, but the, and I, but same thing. I'm like, you know what? Uh, yeah, I cannot wait. I will let you figure out you have the wrong person after you've flown me to California. That'll work. Uh, so totally get that, 100%. But anyway, so now second project. Yes digging in to go round two, mm-hmm. I would hope that this project is not going to be focused on loss because you're winning now, <laughs> right? Yes. So what, what, are we, what are we looking at this time? Well, this, uh, my first project was about trust, mm. right? This next, because I'm in a space of need, a space of void, okay? This next project is more around following the lead. So you got to trust before you can follow. And I'm using the learning how to dance analogy. Okay, you got to trust your teacher. You got to trust your partner. You got to trust that they know the steps. You got to trust that you can follow them to where they lead. And now you're out on the dance floor and you're doing a a great job. But it's you've got to study. You've got to learn your own genre that you're interested in, okay? And then once you decide that you now want to practice with 
a professional of some sort, then you have to follow their lead. You have to trust them. You have to take their guidance and direction. And so this is more about now that you trust me, will you go where I tell you? Are you, are you a big dancer? Not so much. No? <laughs> but that's your, that's your baseline that's analogy. That's my analogy, yes. All right. Yes. Okay. Cool. And so what's your, what's your timeline on it? I'm probably close to half. So I'm thinking six months maybe. But that's really six months of focused mm-hmm. because it's 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 outlined. You know, that's that's how my, my that's my process. So I have the whole book mm-hmm. outlined. You know, it's just a matter of now finish putting the meat on the bones in terms of, OK, now I know what this chapter is supposed to be about. OK, now finding the time to sit down and creating content mm-hmm. around that piece of it. So. And again, breaking it down in the same manner you are learning to dance, because ultimately it's about learning to follow, because you have to follow before you can lead. So you think another six months from now, you you should be wrapped? Yes. So like 18 months from now? That you'll be, I will you'll have be, another project. You'll yes. be on project yes. number three, <laughs> wrapping that one up. Yes. So do you think that that's going to be a long-term thing? There's going to be a Project 3 and a Project 4? and I have at least five. Wow. At least five projects in my head, yes. And do you, you have them all kind of connected the same mm-hmm. way? They're all going to, oh, see, that's mm-hmm. smart. That's smart. You can't just get them, because if they buy book three, they're going to be like, I need one and two. <laughs> Absolutely. I see. See, that's that, six, Method to the madness. that's that 16-year-old <laughs> high school graduate <laughs> that's in there with the baseline business degree. I like it. I like it. That's awesome. So you're you're published author now. You got multiple projects coming out. You're running the HR department for I I would assume we're the largest municipal government in the state. Mm-hmm. It, it is there another like step up, or do you feel like you're <laughs> at the top of the the hill now? I, I I what I tell my team is is just that that I am at the top of the hill and I'm sliding down the backside. <laughs> <laughs> you ready? You ready for the ride down? <laughs> We didn't get a lot of snow this this past winter, so you, it probably would have been a bumpy ride down. I don't know. A little bit. I'm expecting that these projects will open some new and different doors than I have managed previously. It it has already created either new connections or it has created old connections. And what I mean by that is. I have a weekly book discussion with my seventh grade science teacher. That's fun. If you can imagine how the two of us connected all of these years later. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she's retired and she's purchased the book and Again, still as my one of my favorite teachers, she continues to challenge. She continues to challenge my thinking. You heard me say that she was my seventh grade math teacher. She is one of the very first teachers that I had who created the love for science for me. And for us to now come full circle all of these years later and to be able to talk regularly about uh, the book, and she, you know, she has tons of comments. And then at the end of each conversation, she says, "Still the teacher." Next week, I want to talk about chapter four, and I want to talk about page so and so and page so and so. So it's exciting that piece of it. You know, this is not, you know, I, that 
project is out of sheer obedience. You know, I believe that I was led to write that. I don't really have any thoughts around what that means after that because I just wrote it because I was led to do so. What that means outside of that, I, I, I don't know because it's, it's not my project. You know, I'm, I'm the writer, but there's a, there's a higher purpose, I believe, to that project. And you heard it first and, you know, the, the, the end has yet to be seen. Mm what that means in addition to the other projects that I have that I'm working on also. So it's an exciting time. Do you envision <laughs> your your former teacher just sitting at home at a desk with like, like a big cup of red pens in your book, just red penning it the whole time? Yes, I do. Yeah. Because that's her. That's mm-hmm. he, That's been her personality. And, um, and I accept that criticism, you know, that correction from her because I knew early on that she only wanted the best for me. And later on, I had a, my mom had a a favorite story and in chemistry. Now I'm in high school. And, you know, of course, I've always been the overachiever, Kyle. So I come home and I have six A's and I have one B. How dare you? And I made my mom go to school and talk to my chemistry teacher about the B. You know, you ruined my perfect report card. That's so funny. And, you know, my mom laughs and she says, I really cannot believe that I am going up to the school about a B. And the chemistry teacher said, well, you know, she got an 89 average this semester, this marking period. I could have given her the one point, because, you know, at that point, 90 was an A. And she said, but I knew she didn't work hard to get mm. that 89. And if I would have given her that one point, I would have gotten less from her the next time around. So, of course, what did I do? I worked twice as hard so that I could be, you know, so then that next marking period, I had the highest average, you know, in the in the class. But I've always been striving for excellence. You know, that's that's what my mom has has always instilled in me. My mom was a fighter. She never gave up, you know, no matter what challenge came her way. You know, she took it on head on, you know, took the bull by the horns. And I never saw her quit. So I didn't I didn't have that as a as a frame of reference. And, you know, we were of modest means and, you know, et cetera, growing up. But she had fortitude that was just incredible to me and her resiliency and being able to bounce back. And I believe that, you know, she'll, she would say if she were still here that she takes no credit. But without the foundation that you provided, there was no way could I have built the house that I have because it's because of that nice, strong, solid foundation that was built on cement and not sand. Mm. So. I, you know, I think it's really cool to look back and be able to kind of pinpoint those educators who had the, those levels of impact on you that they could see not just who you were as a student based on the grades you were getting, but they could see who you were as a student uh, outside of that and, and, you know, what your baseline motivations were. I think I got straight A's twice in my life. I was always an honor roll student, but, but straight A's twice ever. And it was my last, last marking period. In, in high school. I have no idea how because I was so checked out. It was apparently I stopped trying and all of a sudden at that point it was good. And the same thing my last semester in college. I, and it was the same thing. I was, maybe I was trying too hard before. I don't know. But those are the only times. But I appreciated that those teachers that I always had, even when I was getting B's and the one time ever a C because I got, I got a lecture and I had to go to the teacher and explain how I got a C. But that they always saw that kind of undercurrent. And I can probably 
point to four or five teachers mm-hmm. in my educational career that I don't know that I could call them up tomorrow and be like, hey, could you edit my book for me? But that I could definitely look at the impact that they had on me and, you know, my work ethic and where I am now. And I try much harder now than I did when I was in high school. But, uh, you know, it's different when you have a paycheck attached to it. (laughs) Uh, But that's great. That's really, really great that that's had that lasting impact for you. Now, do you take those lessons and you try to pass them on to to other people? Do you think there's people that, since you've been in management so long, can look back at you and be like, Dr. Jenkins, she did X, Y, and Z, and now I can go to her for X, Y, and Z? I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. I take what I do very seriously. It's not, it's not, and I said to you previously that I believe that human resources chose me, that I didn't necessarily choose the field, but you have to have an incredible heart for people. You have to be incredibly compassionate and passionate um, for people um, in order to do this kind of work, because you're, as I said, you're in the trenches, and it's, it's a profession of helps. You know, you are in this because you are trying to help and better someone else and to be able to challenge people when they're coming with their own issues and to be able to challenge them beyond where they currently are. Or when you're able to walk into an organization and to be able to affect change on such a great level in a a short span of time, all of those things are are motivators for it, you know, why most HR professionals do the kind of work that we do. And I, there's probably that, like, sense of duty to kind of pass it on, right, to, to pay it forward. Yes. It's a huge thing in, in the journalism industry. I mean, everyone's separated by two people. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not six degrees. It's two degrees. <laughs> and if you know, if you burn one person, you have burned half the industry right. vicariously. And I'm sure HR's got a – I feel like there's a tight community, right? It's a – if you're in it, it's a it's a club that you're in that a lot of people I don't think dive into. That you, Correct. You, you've talked about the motivation for it, right? You really have to be a kind of person who wants that motivation. Because it's not first, <clears throat> it's hard work. You know, I I kind of say that the the shelf life of an effective HR professional is around twenty years or so because. It's such hard work. It's grunt work. And, you know, you're in the trenches. It's thankless, you know, and it's... Everyone hates HR. Everyone hates HR. Exactly right. You know, you, you've you got to be able to change that narrative. Again, I, I use the term strategic partner. So we, we're, we move from being the bureaucrat to becoming the strategic partner. But our managers have to feel that way, but our employees have to feel that way also, that there is hope that there is someplace else I can go to get the support that I need if I'm not getting it within my own environment. At least at Delaware Tech, which was great about it is the, it's an associate's program and your education is free. So believe it or not, you know, I signed hundreds of tuition-free forms every semester and I would walk through the cafeteria line and say, I didn't see anything for you. You know, what are we doing? You know, everybody here should at least have an associate's degree because it's free. Mm -hmm. So to be able to challenge the clerk in the line who's the cashier and, you know, I don't have my GED. Oh, well, we can fix that. You know, shall I call so-and-so and and let them know that you're going to reach out? And then three years later, to see that same person walk across the stage with an associate's degree. That is why I do the work that I do. And it's 
trying to encourage and motivate and create more opportunities for individuals to be empowered to accept some responsibility of what their own fate can look like. So, and it's awesome to be able to do that. Well, and you talk too about, you know, the kind of foundation that education sets for you, right? Yes. Whether you're going to build it on mm-hmm. solid concrete or, or sand. If you, you have uh, any, any educational foundation can help set you up to build Correct. something great. I mean, even like I said, my, you know, my wife, she's over here with these science degrees and now she's a CPA, right? Absolutely. You don't even have to have a, a house built in the, with the foundation with the same material you're going to build the rest of the house out of. But uh, as long as you have something there, you can go do whatever you want. Absolutely. And that's what I try to make sure that that message comes across, not only to the people who come into our environment every day, but to my team. I, I try to instill in my team that we are the strategic partner. You know, we can't be only the bureaucrats. You know, we have to be able to show that there's some goodness that is coming out of here and uh, right now, trying to show my team that even though everyone has their own individual area of responsibility and seemingly it's not connected, mm-hmm. but it is connected. And being able to show the connectedness of the work that we do in HR, making sure that we're able to communicate how can we be the subject matter experts? How can we communicate that if we don't take the time to be the subject matter experts? So first of all, I appreciated that comment because we've worked really hard to improve communications, working really hard to ensure that our our, our workforce understands what is happening with the COVID and, you know, and our policies and et cetera. Well, the only way that we can do that is that we have to be the subject matter experts in order to be able to hold a Q&A you know, around um, these challenges. So I think my team recognizes the, uh, that we're much more effective as one. You know, I use the, you know, we're one body, many members. Mm-hmm. And while the brain may be the most important, it can't function by itself. And you know, for the whole body, you need all the parts um, to work together to make the body move. So I use that same analogy with my team to recognize that all of this is still connected. You know, we see employees coming in, you know, unfortunately, we see them in the middle, and then, you know, we see them on their way out. So making sure that that is a, an inviting experience is, is critical. I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it. I and mean, you have, you have anything else you want to nope. you want to add? Nope, I'm happy to still happy to be here. Hey, I hear that. <laughs> I hear that. Here's uh here's hoping there's more of it, right? Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me. I we've been talking for almost an hour. I just wow. looked down at it and I was like, <laughs> "What? Did I turn this thing on before we started?" But yeah, it was just it, it was a great, fascinating conversation. What what is? I don't even think we talked about the title. What is your book? I what was is about title? to say one little plug, Kyle. No, it's called fine. "When the Door Closes, Do Something Amazing." When the door closes, and and available at all fine book yes, retailers. Absolutely good. Actually, you can get it. So I can go on Amazon right now, and I can get it. Yep. And I can be like, she works right across the hall. Yes. That is pretty cool. <laughs> Welcome to 2020, huh? <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Jenkins. Thanks for sitting uh, down and talking with us. And I hope you have a good rest of everything. I hope this next project and the next project and the next project work out well for you. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. All right.